The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's Friday, a division around weekend. Shereen Williams, Mike Florio here with you for the next hour. PFT, PM. Four great games coming up on just average normal division round weekend it was super wild card weekend this is same old same old but awesome eight teams (laughs) left four games we will know the final four the participants in the conference championship games come Sunday night Shireen good afternoon how are you doing today I'm fantastic cannot wait for this weekend I think we should call it just what you said awesome divisional weekend They need another name for it. They've created the precedent. There needs to be some sort of adjective on the front end of whatever the weekend is. It was Super Wild Card Weekend, awesome division around weekend, stupendous conference championship weekend coming up next week. All right, what are you most excited to watch over the course of the next two days, Saturday into Sunday evening? Mike, this typically is the best weekend of football in in an entire season. The divisional games are usually the closest. We usually see some upsets, but I want to see what the home teams can do, frankly. Uh, Can they go 4-0? I mean, if I I know you guys, you and MDS both pick the Buccaneers. If I was going to pick these, I would probably pick the home games, but I'm not going to be surprised if any of these road teams win. It's just been a different year for quote-unquote home field advantage during the regular season, 127, 128, and one, the home teams were. Any of these any of these road teams, Mike, I think can go in there and win, and it's not going to surprise us. I didn't think of the fact that the home field advantage was non-existent this year when picking the games. I've got two home teams and two road teams. I've picked both the Ravens and the Buccaneers to win this weekend. I'm most excited to see that Sunday night game. Tom Brady, Drew Brees. The stakes feel higher than a normal Final Eight game because of the fact that Tom Brady's trying to show that he can get it done at a high level without being with the Patriots. And if it falls short of the conference championship game, I don't know that it feels like a disappointment, but I know that it will to him. And the finality of seeing Tom Brady exit before the Super Bowl, before the conference championship, I think that's always jarring when it happens because it's happened so infrequently over the past 20 years, specifically over the past 10 years. But for Drew Brees, if the Saints lose... That could be it. By all appearances, it will be it. He'll be done, although I'm still not ready to assume that he won't come back. If they would suffer a loss to the Buccaneers at home in the divisional round, maybe he decides to play one more year. Maybe the Saints let him play one more year. It feels like the Saints are ready to move on, but we will see. Let's move on with some of the news. We're going to talk more about the divisional round games coming up throughout the course of the program, but there is news because as A handful of teams play in the postseason. A handful of teams look for new coaches and or general managers. The Falcons don't yet have a general manager, although it's believed it will be Terry Fontenot of the Saints once the Saints season ends. Arthur Smith of the Titans, whose season ended this past weekend, now gets a job 
for the first time an NFL head coach, the son of FedEx founder Fred Smith, making his own way in the world, going from Nashville to Atlanta, Shireen, as the head coach of the Falcons. Your immediate reaction to the news that Smith picked the Falcons and that the Falcons picked Smith. Well, I think it's smart on the Falcons' part to go with an offensive coordinator, Mike, and you've made this point. And when you pick a defensive coordinator as your head coach, which the Falcons did last time in Dan Quinn, you're only as good as your offensive coordinator, and you see those guys leave. And this Falcons team, frankly, hasn't been the same since the Super Bowl. They haven't been the same since Kyle Shanahan left for San Francisco. And they've tried to duplicate that, and they haven't been able to do it. They're still going to build around Matt Ryan. And if you're going to build around Matt Ryan, he's your quarterback of the present and the future, then you have to get an offensive coordinator. So I think it was smart to go the offensive coordinator route, Mike. Yeah, and I do too. I think if they had hired Kyle Shanahan to be the head coach the last time they hired a coach in 2015, Kyle Shanahan would still be the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. At times, I feel like there needs to be a purge of everyone that was associated directly or indirectly with the 28-3 debacle against the Patriots a few years ago in the Super Bowl. Short of selling the team, though, that's not going to happen. Arthur Smith takes that job. Frankly, if I'm Arthur Smith, all due respect, Falcons, that's not the job I want. That's not the best job. Right. And it's not even close in this cycle. I would have wanted the Chargers job. I would have wanted the Jaguars job, although they locked on to Urban Meyer. We'll talk about that in a second. I'm just not sure that the Falcons job is the right job for me. And Arthur Smith feels like the kind of guy for whom the door will still be open next year if he had passed. And I put the Falcons squarely in the wait till next year category when I was ranking these jobs last week. If I'm Arthur Smith, I I definitely don't need the money. I can wait for the right opportunity. I can think about my legacy, my chance of success, my chance of being in a place long term. And one of the concerns I have about the Falcons, all due respect, sorry, Rich McKay, but he's a former GM who's now the team president. It's a layer between me, the GM, and the, and the owner of the organization. I'm not comfortable with that. I don't know what Rich McKay's role is going to be. My guess is Arthur Smith has gotten some representation about what it'll be but whether that's what it ultimately is who knows it's all very vague and amorphous and it makes the job less attractive not to mention the salary cap problems not to mention whether you want to keep julio jones and or matt ryan maybe arthur smith has other ideas we'll see how that goes shireen but it's just another job that's filled as the dominoes begin to fall we went the full week right after the season ended with none We added a seventh on Monday, and now we see more and more landing into place. The first domino to fall was in Jacksonville, where Urban Meyer was named the head coach last night. And this was a brilliant move by the Jaguars to Bigfoot division around weekend, because why else would we be talking about the Jaguars? And the Jaguars are now the top story, and they have been for the last 24 hours, even though they're not playing in any of the games this weekend. Here's Urban Meyer on job number one for him, which is drafting the right quarterback with that first overall selection. And obviously the Jaguars do have the number one overall pick. Uh, what are your thoughts on this upcoming quarterback class? And uh, is there a separation in that quarterback class with the, the top overall guy? You see Trevor, you see Justin, you see Zach, you see, you know, that, that this is going to be, you know, the, as Shad said, this is a monumental moment for this this franchise and we've seen some franchises explode and we've seen others fail and and I've said this many times you know throughout my career is that when the NFL says it's a quarterback league you know I would say well so is college and so is high school so is Pop Warner it's a quarterback sport so whoever takes that snap is we have got to be right on 
if I didn't know better, and I may have to go listen to this again, I believe, Shireen, that Urban Meyer has given us a Simsism. I believe he said Montumental, which is exactly the kind of thing I expect Chris Sims to say on PFT Live any weekday morning between 7 and 9 a.m. Eastern. But beyond that, yes, it is a monumental or monumental, whichever one you choose, decision for the Jaguars as to what they do with that first overall pick. And Mike, you've talked about this repeatedly. College coaches have not come into the NFL with great success. When you look at the last six who've been hired, it's Matt Rule, Bill O'Brien, Cliff Kingsbury, Chip Kelly, Doug Marone, and Greg Schiano, who came from the college ranks to the NFL ranks. Their record is not sterling, as you can imagine. 145, 179, and 1. Obviously, Bill O'Brien is the only one of those guys to, to have a winning record in the NFL after coming from the college ranks. Now, having said all that, Urban Meyer is way more qualified ba- than those other guys based on what he did in college. He actually had great success in college at different programs, unlike those other guys did. When you look at what Cliff K- Kingsbury did at Texas Tech, he was not successful. And we'll see the jury still out on his success with the Cardinals. But, Mike, that is a huge question, and it is a huge gamble but if you're Shad Khan and you look at the, the other coaches that you've hired who have not been good, who have not had success, Marone, Mike M- Malarkey, and Gus Bradley, this is a good hire for him. And you know why? Because you're going to sell tickets. You're going to sell jerseys. You are going to sell out that stadium. You have the number one overall pick, which we assume is going to be Trevor Lawrence. You could sell Trevor Lawrence, and you could sell Urban Meyer for at least two or three years to that fan base in Florida. Yeah, I agree with you completely. And Peter King made a great point today as it relates to the pressure that will be on Urban Meyer at the NFL level. And I hadn't thought of it this way, but I'm very familiar with the Ohio State fan base. I've got family in Columbus, and it is over the top. And at the college level, you get one loss a year before you're out (laughs) of the running for the national championship. So there's an expectation every week that they're going to win. And against most teams, the expectation is they're going to win big. With the Jaguars, you can lose two, three, four, five, six games and still make it to the playoffs. So maybe there'll be less pressure. And surely there's less expectation. The fan base is far less zealous. The fan base hasn't been spoiled by anything. Two AFC championship, or three, excuse me, I forgot about 96. It was 96, 99, and 2017. Am I missing one, Shereen? I think that's it, right? No, I think that's it. Three AFC championship appearances, no Super Bowl appearances for the Jaguars. There isn't a legacy of greatness. And if you're making the jump to an NFL team, I would pick the team that's never been in a Super Bowl. I would pick the team with the fan base that isn't already demanding something special right away, and you better be 12 and 4 or 13 and 3, and you're not exactly following a tough act in Jacksonville, and you get the first overall pick, and you're in a division that isn't Murderer's Row. This all lines up nicely for Urban Meyer. The question is can he handle? the pressure of the NFL. Maybe he can because it is less pressure than what is foisted upon the person who's in charge of the Ohio State football program.
And it's obvious, Mike, that he's going to be in charge of personnel. They hired him first before you hire the GM. That's what he's going to do there. He's going to make all those decisions. They are slated to have the most cap space of any team for next season. They have two number ones, two number twos, two fourth-round picks. This could be a really quick rebuild. I think the two keys are hiring a good staff. You saw Jimmy Johnson do that when he came to Dallas. He hired a really, really good coaching staff and I think that is the number one crucial thing for Urban Meyer and guys who have NFL experience if it's Scott Linehan as offense coordinator at least he has NFL experience and NFL experience as a head coach and the second thing is getting the quarterback right obviously you have to have that quarterback Jimmy Johnson drafted uh, Troy Aikman with the number one overall pick and it worked out if Trevor Lawrence is who they pick and he works out I think this is going to be a great success story in Jacksonville for Urban Meyer yeah, and again, less pressure than Ohio State. Only way to go is up, and we'll now see what the Jaguars do moving forward with Urban Meyer. We're waiting to see what the Lions are going to do at the head coaching position. They've hired Brad Holmes to be the GM. Reports emerged today that Dan Campbell, the Saints assistant coach, once upon a time interim coach in Miami, is the favorite for the Lions head coaching job. And this doesn't surprise me. Because Chris Spielman running the search, former player, kind of a rough-and-tumble guy. Dan Campbell, kind of a rough-and-tumble guy. And all the indications are he's got the potential to be a very good NFL coach, command a room, command a team, give the Lions the kind of toughness that they're looking for. And, uh, you know, look, just like Jacksonville, the bar is low in Detroit, but I think this extended stretch of mediocrity has created a greater sense of urgency that they figure it out, and they figure it out quickly. And we'll we'll see. If it's Campbell, we'll see. You know, with the Lions, they are firmly in we'll believe it when we see it mode because they just keep flailing in an effort to get to the playoffs and win their first playoff game since the 1991 season. That is a long time, and we'll see if Dan Campbell can can make that happen in what will be the 30th anniversary of the Lions' last playoff win. I'm so excited for this, Mike. I didn't know if Dan Campbell would get his opportunity. I go way back with him, back to his playing days at A&M. He obviously played for the Cowboys, and I was here when he played for the Cowboys. And got to go down and spend a couple days with him when he was interim coach at Miami. Uh, And that was awesome. And I think he's going to be a great head coach. And I am certainly biased. There's no question about that. I'm going to become a Lions fan if he does indeed get this job. And all indications are that he will. But that Sean Payton coaching tree, to me, Mike, is intriguing. And I just think if you coach under Sean Payton, it's sort of like coaching under Bill Parcells to an extent. I think you can go have success. Certainly his assistants, I think, are going to have more success than what we've seen Bill Belichick's assistants have. And for whatever reason, I mean, we've talked a lot about Bill Belichick's assistants and not having that success and why we think that might be. But I do think that Sean Payton coaching tree is going to be a very prosperous tree over the next few years when you look at all the guys who have interviewed in recent years. But but it's amazing, Shireen, that there haven't been more guys hired over the years. Pete Carmichael has stalled out in the offensive coordinator position. Dennis Allen, for whatever reason, can't get a sniff. If I'm hiring anybody off of that staff, frankly, it's Dennis Allen, not Dan Campbell. So it really, it, it, yeah, but, but that, that goes against my, my recommendation that you get an offensive coordinator to run your team. But Dennis (laughs) Allen, how does he not get any interviews? And Dan Campbell gets the job. And I hadn't realized 
how insufferable you're going to be with a guy who has a Cowboys and Texas A&M connection. I am now officially <laughs> rooting against Dan Campbell getting this Lions job because it is going to be a long two or three years until he gets fired by the Lions based upon past history in Detroit. But maybe it won't be two or three years. Maybe it'll be 10, 15, 20 years of Dan Campbell in Detroit. All right, it's not going to be 10 or 15 years by all appearances of Deshaun Watson in Houston. An update based upon today's developments. Cal McNair says that he has spoken to Deshaun Watson, which is good because as of a week ago, Deshaun Watson would not talk to Cal McNair, the owner of the team. That's never a good sign. McNair has spoken to Deshaun Watson, and he wants Watson in the loop for the coaching hire. The question is, is it too little, too late, after they cut him out of the loop for the GM hire, and they refused to interview the guy that he wanted the team to hire to be the head coach, Eric Bieniemy, the Chiefs' offensive coordinator. And how about the tweet from Deshaun Watson today, Shireen, that I think confirms that none of this has changed, none of it matters, it's too little, too late. I was on two, then I took it to ten. Now the naysayers are saying, it's just song lyrics. Well, yeah, it's also the exact phrase that Adam Schefter used last weekend on ESPN to characterize Watson's mindset after he wasn't consulted before they made Nick Casario the GM. That's not an accident. And that's the context that these things are being said. And this isn't just some random, I feel like, tweeting out song lyrics. He's smart enough to know that there's a broader background for whatever he says. And anything he says is going to be scrutinized, just like last week when he tweeted some things never change, and then he deleted it. I was on two, now I'm on ten confirms what Schefter said, and it tells me that this clumsy effort by the Texans this week, Shireen, to repair the relationship with Deshaun Watson has not worked. And on top of that, Mike, it came out shortly after John McClain, our friend at the Houston Chronicle, released his story basically saying that Cal McNair is not going to fire Jack Easterby. So it is not a coincidence that he used the same phrasing that Adam Shepard did over the weekend or when the tweet was posted. There's no coincidence in that. He's still mad. He's going to remain mad. And now Cal McNair said he's going to be part of the coaching search. They better make him part of the coaching search because they promised him that in the GM search and then didn't do it. They didn't take his recommendations. They didn't take his advice. They didn't consult him like they said it would. It would have been a completely different thing if they had taken what he said, interviewed those candidates, and then said, hey, we're we're hiring someone else. But they obviously didn't do that, Mike. And so here they sit with a problem with Deshaun Watson. Houston had another problem in the NBA with the, in a similar situation, and what did James Harden do? He showed up overweight, out of shape, started ripping his teammates, and they had to trade him just to get rid of him. And you can so see this same scenario playing out in Houston. So good luck, Nick Casario, in making this thing work with Deshaun Watson. And you better make it work with Deshaun Watson, or this is a, a franchise that's going to be in a long rebuilding process. And I think that Deshaun Watson, unlike James Harden, Deshaun Watson just won't show up. He'll make it clear, I'm done. It's over. He's not the kind of guy, in my assessment, to make idle threats. He's very straightforward. He's very direct. And once you've lost him, you've lost him for good. Their only hope of turning this around is to hire Eric Bieniemy and have Bieniemy tell Watson, my first order of business is to stuff Jack Easterby in a locker and leave him there. (laughs) That's the only way they're fixing this. 
Yeah, I agree with you. It doesn't seem there's another out. And so you asked Deshaun Watson what he needs to be happy there, and that's what you have to do, frankly, if you want to keep Deshaun Watson. And it looks like, Mike, it's going to come down to Deshaun Watson or Jack Easterby. And I cannot believe that Cal McNair would pick Jack Easterby. I just can't even envision that in, in my thoughts. But if that's the way they go, wow, this is an organization that's, that's really, really in a lot of trouble over the coming X number of years because no one's going to want to go there. I vaguely recall saying at some point over the past week or so that if it came down to Deshaun Watson or Jack Easterby, everyone in their right mind would pick Watson except for members of Jack Easterby's family, and at least half of them would say Watson as well. So it is a no-brainer. I don't understand the spell that Easterby has cast on McNair. And this may be very simple, Shereen. I mean, let's think about it. Cal McNair owns that team for one reason and one reason only. He's the son of the man who founded it. That's it. He hasn't earned it. He hasn't worked for the money. He hasn't done anything to merit owning an NFL team. He just happened to be in the lineage. It's like royalty. That's one of the things that is fascinating about the NFL. We've got this complex football structure that is driven by X's and O's and analytics and all of these things relevant to what happens on a football field. And it's all presided over by... These various monarchies that just hand the team from generation to generation. Well, you know what? Sooner or later, and in some cases sooner, you're going to hand it to a generation that doesn't know what the hell to do. And Cal McNair, in my assessment, with all due discretion and respect and aware of the potential consequences of making this statement on Peacock, he doesn't know what the hell to do. So he needs Jack Easterby to tell him what to do. Well, Cal, you don't have to pay me $3 million a year for me to tell you what you need to do if you want to turn this around, and that's to tell Jack Easterby bye-bye. Or completely neuter him to the point where he has no way that he can have any involvement over the football operation, although I think that's impossible. The only way to ensure that Easterby isn't going to poison the relationship any further than he has is to get him out of there for good. And until you do it, you're not going to get back to Sean Watson. And you know what, Mike? Andre Johnson was supposedly on this committee that Cal McNair put together, and it looked like a great committee. And I would be interested to hear what other committee members think after being on this committee that supposedly was going to help this organization pick the right people. But Andre Johnson was on it, and we saw his text. Yeah, it wasn't a committee. That's the thing. It was reported as a committee. It was a bunch of different individuals that Cal McNair spoke to one-on-one. That's a recipe for, I'm going to keep talking to all these different people until someone tells me what I want to hear. That's not what a committee would have done. A committee works together, synthesizes, comes up with the best recommendation, and makes one recommendation. And that's what the guy better do if he wants the advice of the committee. This was, I'm going to cast a wide net of people I'll speak to, and somebody's going to tell me what I want to hear, and that's what I'm going to do. And you know what it was? Jack Easterby's the one who told him what he wanted to hear. Then that's exactly the way it worked out. Jack Easterby made that hire, no question about it. But we saw Andre Johnson's tweet. So they have now ostracized the best player in team history, the quarterback, the franchise quarterback you just gave a ton of money to, And who knows who else within the organization they've ostracized. So they have a huge repair job here. And I'm with you. I think it may be past the point of return with Deshaun Watson. And that's what we're going to find out, I think, over the coming weeks. 
Yeah, and I think the Texans are going to find out the hard way that they can't fix this. And they need to have a great plan, both for fixing it and for what do we do if we can't fix it. And the problem is, great plan is not a phrase that you can use to (laughs) describe the Texans in any way, shape, or form. Wherever there's a fork in the road, you can expect them to choose the one that leads to the highway to hell. All right, uh, real quickly, Vaughn Miller under investigation by Parker, Colorado Police. We don't know any of the details. My understanding is it has something to do with that strange social media blow-up from a week or two ago with uh, a former girlfriend, whatever that was. We didn't write about it. We just like okay, but this, this just isn't something we want to get into, but we may be getting into it because that may be what ultimately results in some sort of charges being made against Vaughn Miller, Sharon. Another, I know, I know it pains you when this happens to a former Aggie great, but uh, you know if this is a serious off-field situation and it's something that the NFL possibly will have to take a look at along with the Broncos. Let's take a break. We've got more PFTPM right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I had to deal with criticism before as a player. Texas, people always had issues with me there. So I can relate, but like, as much as you ignore it, I know you heard some of it. It's not pleasant. How do you? How did you internalize that? How do you channel the noise? How did? How did you work with it? Well, I mean, the, the crazy part about it is, you know, it's hard to ignore it in this day and age. And I did my best to mask it and kind of look the other way. But there's nothing anybody can say that that'll hurt my feelings because odds are, I've probably said it to myself. I'm very, very critical of myself. Um, I'm a very big negative self-talker and to a fault sometimes, but that's that's what gets me going, is me kind of kicking myself in the butt and, and trying to shake things off that way. And um, again, I've had the same thoughts as a lot of other people. You know, there's been games where I just plan out wasn't good enough. And um, the thing is, I know I can I can be that guy. And until I got to that point, um, you know, I still still need to self-talk, but now, I mean, I still always had that confidence in me. And that, that's never gone away, that'll never go away. Um, because I just always knew that I had it in me and I had to pull it out somehow. But uh, obviously there's still things I want to improve on um, this offseason when I get time. Um, but until that point, you know, we got Baltimore on Saturday night. All 
All right, it's time to get you ready for the divisional round weekend. Shereen Williams, Mike Florio with you on PFTPM. We've got several different categories of of uh, ways to look at this, and we're going to pick some players in response to each one. Let's begin with who has the most pressure of the players in these four games coming up over Saturday and Sunday, Shereen. Well, happy birthday, Drew Brees. Turned 42 today, Mike. And you alluded to this earlier, right? Uh, Tom Brady's older, but we don't get the feeling that Tom Brady's ready to retire yet. We do get the feeling that this might be Drew Brees' last year. Whether he wants to retire or whether the Saints are ready to move on, whatever the case may be, injuries over the last couple of years, this just to me seems like the end for Drew Brees. And this is his last postseason to add a Super Bowl ring. Of course, he only has the one that came in 2009. And this has been not been a good team in the postseason uh, over the last four years. 49 and 15 in the regular season. They've gone three and three in the postseason. They lost to the Vikings at home in overtime last year. They lost to the Rams at home in overtime in 2018. Of course, I think we all agree they should have won that game uh, based on an official decision late there in regulation, but it didn't happen. And now here they are, perhaps in Drew Brees' last chance and a chance to end it like Peyton Manning ended it. And it does feel a lot like Peyton Manning's last year, Mike. Yeah, you know, it really does, and uh, we'll see whether or not Breeze can advance to the next round. It's hard for him. It's got to be excruciatingly difficult for him to walk away from the game after losing at home to Tom Brady, and he's done very well against Tom Brady. So I agree with you, a ton of pressure on Drew Breeze this weekend. I think there's a ton of pressure on Jared Goff. Jared Goff, who some would say has kind of fallen out of favor with Sean McVay, the coach of the Rams. Maybe McVay would have preferred to go with John Wolford at quarterback this weekend. Maybe McVay sees Wolford as a guy who can better run the offense than Goff. Goff making $33.5 million a year under his current contract and playing out in the cold. Remember 2018 when the Rams had that Sunday night game in Chicago? Jared Goff was affected by the cold. And there were no elements. It was just cold. There was no wind or rain or snow or sleet it was just cold and it's going to be cold in green bay and there won't be much wind and there'll be no snow or sleet or freezing rain or anything like that but we need to see him step up and help that rams offense outscore whatever the rams defense can hold the packers offense to it's going to be on Goff to engineer at least one more point and if he fails badly in that spot you're going to hear all offseason long, why did the Rams give him that much money? I still think they shouldn't have, and I said it from the get-go. And when can we get rid of him? And sorry, Rams fans, but you're stuck with him for at least a couple more years. Yeah, Mike, since he became the starter in week 11 of his rookie season, he's been like the quarterback. He's been their franchise guy, and it doesn't have that same feel now to me. It seems like there is a question there and a question within Sean McVay's mind of whether he is the guy. Yeah, and uh, we'll see if he can get himself back in McVay's good graces on Saturday. First game out of the gates in Division Around Weekend. All right, what's the biggest surprise you're anticipating this weekend, Shereen? 
Well, Mike, I think the Browns are going to make it a competitive game with the Chiefs. Now, I'm not ready to say the Browns are going to win this game, but I do think it's going to be a competitive game. When you look at Patrick Mahomes, he hasn't played, Mike, since December 27th, and we haven't talked about this. And the last time he played, it was a blah game. They beat the Falcons 17-14. December 13th was the last time he threw for over 300 yards. So he has not played well in a really long time. Now, is he just going to flip that switch? and turn it back on. He certainly did that last year. We'll see if he can do it this year. But everybody seems to have forgotten, Mike, that it took three comebacks in the postseason last season to win the Super Bowl. Can they do that again? Can they avoid having to come back in each of the games, which is really hard to do? And Patrick Mahomes, like any great player, looking for motivation wherever he can find it. Odell Beckham Jr. had a tweet recently suggesting that he believes the Browns will win the game. Patrick Mahomes clicked the like button on it. A source of potential drive added on top of the effort to become the first team to repeat as champions since the 2003-2004 Patriots. And I think they can keep it close, Shereen. And I'm of the mindset, and Coach Dungy and I disagreed about this earlier this week, and he's Coach Dungy, so he automatically wins. He thinks the Browns need to get... (laughs) into a shootout, I think the Browns need to slow it down, run the ball, take the full play clock, tell Baker Mayfield, your your game manager, not gunslinger, and reduce the number of possessions that the Chiefs have. Yeah, I'm with you, Mike. I think they definitely have to run the ball well if they're going to have a chance in this game and keep the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' possession. What I think is going to happen that will be a surprise, at least in hindsight, I think the Buffalo Bills are going to unleash Josh Allen as a runner. We saw it in the wild card round last year. He had 92 rushing yards, and he caught a touchdown pass, an 18-yarder. He had over 100 yards from scrimmage, other than as a quarterback. This past week, and people were like, oh, he really ran a lot. He only had 54 yards. He just doesn't run as much now because he can get it done with his arm. I think in a game where we're going to see plenty of Lamar Jackson running for the Ravens, this is going to be the thing that can maybe bust open the Ravens' defense. If Allen can run like Jackson runs, and I know the Ravens' defense will be better prepared for it because they see Jackson in practice, but just because you see him doesn't mean you can stop him. And I think we should expect to see Josh Allen run the ball more than he did last week. And I think he's going to have the green light anytime he sees an opening. If they're blanketing Stephon Diggs, if they're covering Cole Beasley, if they're taking away John Brown and Gabriel Davis, Josh Allen, tuck it and take off. And I think it will stun the Ravens' defense to see Josh Allen run it the way that he's capable of running it, Shereen. And they're also missing Zach Moss, Mike. So I I think this could be another element to their running game is Josh Allen. And he did have 11 carries last week. The last four regular season games, he had 15 total carries. He had 11 last week. So I'm with you. I think they've decided that, hey, it's the postseason. Throw caution to the wind. Let Josh Allen run because he's very good at it. Let's go to another topic. This officially is called the the under-the-radar storyline in – uh, deference to Chris Sims, I'll call it the swept under the radar storyline. That's one of the Simsisms he gave us this week. <laughs> what is your swept under the radar storyline? Well, I 
like the fact that Kevin Stefanski's coming back to call the plays. I mean, Alex Van Pelt was terrific last week. He didn't take uh, the, the, the foot off the gas, Mike. You kept thinking Pittsburgh's getting back in this. They're scoring. You're going to see the, the Browns try to run this out. Nope. They said, we're going to throw the ball. We're going to match you touchdown for touchdown, and you can't come back against us. And Alex Van Pelt did not have Kevin Stefanski there to, to change his mind or anything else. It was his game. And he called a terrific game. And now Kevin Stefanski's coming back. His first playoff game as the head coach of the Browns. His first playoff game as a play caller. What's he going to do? And how much is he going to rely on Alex Van Pelt this week? They had total balance last week. 31 rushes and 34 passes. It helps to get out to that easy 7-0 lead and to have it snowball sure into 28-0. But you're right. It's actually extra pressure on Kevin Stefanski because if they stink on, on Sunday afternoon... <laughs> Uh, maybe people will say next time we're in the playoffs, we just need to lock you in the basement and go with someone else running the team that day. For me, the under the radar storyline is Antonio Brown back in the Superdome for the first time in two years. The last time we saw him there was his last game with the Steelers just a few days before he got upset that Juju Smith-Schuster was named the team MVP and he threw the ball at Ben Roethlisberger and stormed off and never came back. He had 14 catches for 185 yards and two touchdowns against the Saints in the Superdome. He's in game shape, game speed, ready to go. They've got a vast array of weapons. But when when Mike Evans got hurt in Week 17, Antonio Brown really stepped up and had a huge day then. They didn't need him much last Saturday against Washington. I think they're going to need him on Sunday, and I think we're going to see a lot of Antonio Brown because he's back in a building, Shireen, where he's made plenty of noise at least the last time he played there. Absolutely, Mike. And he hasn't had the greatest of postseason careers. 11 postseason games, five 100-yard games, and five touchdowns. But I do think with Marshawn Lattimore on Mike Evans, we could see a lot of A.B. this week. All right, next one. Best head-to-head matchup this weekend. Shereen, what do you got? Well, I'm going to go with the obvious one, Mike, and it's the Packers' number one scoring offense against the Rams' number one scoring defense. It's happened six times before that the number one scoring offense has met the number one scoring defense, and the offenses, to no one's surprise, are four and two, but then that's in the divisional round. Overall, since 1990, the defenses actually have a four to three lead in that, but I am intrigued by this. The Packers had the number one scoring offense in 2014, and the Seahawks beat them. Uh, 28-22, they were the number one scoring defense that year. So this this matchup just intrigues me about who's going to win it. Rams definitely need to do what they've been doing, which is score defensive touchdowns if they're going to have a chance. And I look at two specific aspects of that matchup, Packers offense against Rams defense. Number one, Jalen Ramsey on Devontae Adams. Will Aaron Rodgers throw it even if Devontae Adams isn't technically open? Will there be a crevice, a sliver, a crease through which he can get the ball to Adams and will he catch it even if he's covered? Second, Aaron Jones. Contract year, postseason. He had three 100-yard rushing games this year. Back in week two against the Lions, he had over 200 yards from scrimmage. It looked like he was going to make a huge statement to get paid a ton of money by somebody. It didn't happen the way that we thought it would. It can happen now. With 24 teams watching, this is his chance to get people to start scratching his name 
near the top of the list of available running backs in free agency. So I agree where you're coming from here. That offense versus that defense, what are they going to do to slow down Aaron Rodgers and company, and what can that supporting cast do to step up to help save the day? For me, the best head-to-head matchup is the Chiefs' pass rush against Baker Mayfield because as long as Baker Mayfield isn't being rushed, isn't being hurried, isn't being pressured, he can execute the offense. Now, that's true for most quarterbacks, but it's especially true for Baker Mayfield because he's he's somewhere between Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. And I, I, he's not closer to either one. Maybe he's closer to Mahomes, but he's not all that. He's not as mobile as the Aaron Rodgers, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes of the world. He can buy some time with his feet, but not enough. And if you get, it's almost like Kirk Cousins plus a little extra mobility, where you can you can get outside the pocket, but if someone is chasing you down, it's going to disrupt you. It didn't happen against the Steelers. They didn't have T.J. Watt in his face. I thought that would happen. To me, can the Chiefs get through the Browns' offensive line and get after Baker Mayfield, Shireen? And if they can't, that's great news for the Browns. And that was one of the key storylines from last week, Mike. Baker Mayfield took no sacks after taking four in each of the previous two games. That's huge for the Browns. They need to protect him. Joel Batonio coming back is really going to help. I think he wasn't even pressured last weekend, frankly. So that's what they need this weekend. We need to take a break. Most most important non-quarterbacks this weekend. We'll discuss that next here. Non-quarterbacks. Each game, we're going to pick one each from each team in each game. We're going to begin with Rams-Packers. Shereen, you have someone from the Rams. Yeah, you know, Mike, it would be easy to pick Aaron Donald, and I think he's instrumental for them in this game. He's got to play well despite that rib injury that he that he has. But I'm going to go with Cam Akers because Jared Goff needs help, as we talked about, and Cam Akers is the guy to help him. They've got to keep the ball out of Aaron Rodgers' hands. Cam Akers is the guy to do that, uh, and I think he, he can do that. He showed it last week, 28 carries, 131 yards, and a touchdown. He also caught two passes for 45 yards. He's really coming on and play well but if you think back to the Rams Super Bowl year remember in the divisional round Mike when they played the Cowboys they had C.J. Anderson off the couch and Todd Gurley and they rushed for 273 yards against the Cowboys I think they're going to have to have some sort of game like that rushing the ball to have a chance against the Packers I think you're absolutely right. And as we discussed earlier, as it relates to Jared Goff, whether it's Goff, whether it's Akers, whether it's somebody else, that offense needs to step up because if the defense is going to have any luck against the Packers in holding them down, the offense still has to score some points. I'm going to go to that Green Bay offense. I already mentioned Aaron Jones and the fact that they need him. And they need him to run the ball. They need him to catch the ball out of the backfield. They need him to take some heat off of Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers. And they they are are... Uh, going to potentially desperately need Aaron Jones if Jalen Ramsey is able to neutralize Devontae Adams. So to me, he is such a key player in this game. And I think other than Aaron Rodgers, and I could have said Devontae Adams, but I'm assuming Ramsey is just going to take him away. So you you, you cross out Ramsey, you cross out Adams. What can Aaron Jones do, Shereen? Yeah, I think it's Aaron Jones and Robert Tunyon needs to have a good game too, Mike. But Aaron Jones did it last year in the postseason. He had three touchdowns in two games and didn't go over 100 yards, but was really effective running the ball. He needs to do that again for the Packers to have a chance. 
The Saturday night game on NBC, the Ravens and the Bills. Shireen from the Buffalo side of things, who's the most important non-quarterback? Well, we talked about Zach Moss being out with that ankle injury, Mike, and so it falls on Devin Singletary. And, and of course, Josh Allen, as we've said, is going to run the ball some, but Devin Singletary really needs to have a good game. T.J. Yeldon will be their other running back uh, in that game. We saw Singletary's yards per carry drop from 5-1 to 4-4 this season. He was down a little bit. But in the three games that Zach Moss didn't play this year, he was outstanding. 42 carries, 152 yards, and a touchdown, and 10 catches for 79 yards and a touchdown. He's ready to be the workhorse running back, Mike, and they need him to do that, With especially if the weather conditions aren't very good in that game. If there's some snow, we know it's going to be cold no matter if there's snow or not. Last time I checked the Dark Sky app, which is an excellent worldwide weather predictor, it looked like things were going to be fine from a precipitation standpoint. I mean, I'd kind of like some snow in the air, but I don't want it to affect yes. the game. I think that Marlon Humphrey, the Ravens cornerback, can affect the game in a positive way for the Ravens if they assign him to Stephon Diggs most of the time, all of the time, a lot of the time. They need to take away Stephon Diggs. Sims and I were talking about this earlier in the week. I would, and, and this is where it becomes interesting. I don't know. Do you put Marlon Humphrey one-on-one on someone else and double Stephon Diggs with Jimmy Smith or Marcus Peters plus safety help? I don't know. But either way, Humphrey's going to have to lock someone down, whether it's Diggs or someone else. They need that defensive secondary to step up, and Humphrey is the leader of that unit. He's the guy that got the big contract, and they need to take away the passing game, or at least minimize it if they're going to have a chance to outscore the Buffalo Bills. And uh, we'll, we'll see if Humphrey or the rest of the defensive backfield for the Ravens can pull that off. Browns Chiefs, Shireen, who, uh, who, for, wait, I, this is, I, I don't need more than half a guess to know who you're picking from the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> of course, it's Miles Garrett. He needs to have a big game. You know, he's gone back-to-back games without a sack, Mike, and he said he's ready for a big game. He needs to have it this week. He's not been the same guy since his return from COVID, and he's talked a lot about that, how the breathing hasn't come back. It's really affected him. In the six games since he's come back from COVID, only two and a half sacks, three tackles for loss, four quarterback hits. He's got to do more than that against Patrick Mahomes. And we know how Mahomes just keeps floating back and back and back, making it hard to sack him. He was only sacked 22 times in the regular season. So it's a very difficult thing to do. But he needs to somehow affect Patrick Mahomes in that Chiefs throw, uh, passing game or the Browns just have zero chance in this game. And I think they are. I think they're going to have a good defensive performance this week. I'm going with Travis Kelsey from the Chiefs, the tight end. And you could have gone Tyreek Hill. But, but I – Travis Kelsey, for a couple of reasons. Number one, he's that guy that's always open. He's that guy that Patrick Mahomes is always looking for. He's that guy that really fuels the meat and potatoes of the passing game. Tyreek Hill is the is the sizzle in the steak, and Travis Kelsey is more like the, you know, the gristle in the middle and the mashed potatoes and everything that goes along with keeping it moving in the right direction. And he grew up in Cleveland, which makes this one a little more special for him to take on the Browns. So I'll go Kelsey. Last game of the weekend, Buccaneers Saints. The quarterbacks are going to be critical. Who's the most important non-quarterback for the Buccaneers? Well, you 
you knew I was going to pick the other Aggie, Mike, right? It's Mike Evans, of course, and he needs to have a big game, and he hasn't had a big game because they lock him down with Marshawn Lattimore, and he has no touchdowns against Marshawn Lattimore since 2018. He has not played well against the Saints. One catch, two yards, and a touchdown in week one. Four catches, 64 yards, and no touchdowns in week nine. They have to have him be very involved in this game, Mike, like he was last week against Washington. I've got Taysom Hill from the Saints for one very important reason. Bruce Arians said in the aftermath of their win over Washington, he wanted Alex Smith, not Taylor Heineke, to play quarterback because he was concerned about the defense's ability to deal with the mobility of Heineke. And he warned the defense about it, and they still got burned by him. So, Drew Brees isn't mobile. Taysom Hill is, and this is the opportunity for the Saints to unleash Taysom Hill and maybe, maybe have him have a big impact on that game. We're going to answer some of your best questions when PFTPM continues right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Sports Uncovered. Check out the latest episode. It will tell the story of Gail Searins, the first woman to call play-by-play for an NFL game. Get that wherever you get your podcast all right let's get to the questions from the pftpm posse and anyone else who submitted questions good enough to make it through the filter and the filter was fairly thick today because we don't have a lot of time a red zone alk asks this question given that wade phillips announced today that he is unretiring i didn't know that he was officially retired will he get another coaching job in the nfl after one year out shireen I don't think so, Mike, but you never say never because this same thing happened to him. He set out the 2014 season after being with the Texans for three years and then came back with the Broncos for two years and won a Super Bowl there with that defense. So I guess you never say never with Wade Phillips, but I just don't see it happening for him. I just think there's too many other options within the NFL right now. You know who I think would benefit from his presence tremendously? It's Mike Zimmer in Minnesota. He has always relied on having someone in the organization who can speak truth to him. It was Tony Sperano. He unexpectedly passed in training camp or just before training camp a few years back. It's been guys like uh, Gary Kubiak. 
uh, and, and this past year, they had uh, Dom Capers there as a consultant defensively. I think having a guy like Wade Phillips around, if Mike Zimmer's willing to listen to him, would maybe be exactly what Zimmer needs to fix that defense. And you get a little hybrid. That's what he was going with with Dom Capers, a little 4-3, a little 3-4, mix things up, have some new ideas for your defense and try to make it better that way. I think that's something that Zimmer should consider. All right, Dan Twait wants to know, what's the best landing spot for Deshaun Watson? Well, I would definitely say the Dolphins. They could get back their number three overall draft pick, and you get Tua if you think Tua can play. I, to me, it makes sense if you're going to trade him. Now, I, I, if I'm Houston, I hate that, that the Dolphins are in the AFC because, you know, if you get good, you're going to have to go through the Dolphins more than likely to get to the Super Bowl because that makes the Dolphins obviously instant contenders, which I, I think they are building toward that right now. So that would scare me from that standpoint, but it does make a lot of sense, Mike, based on where their draft pick is the, that they got from the Texans and the fact that you could get a quarterback out of it. The no trade clause in the contract gives Deshaun Watson immense power because he can say no yeah. to any trade that the Texans propose. So if they're going to do this, if they decide that there's no way out of this and they don't want to get into a protracted fight and he's serious about sitting out, you go to Deshaun Watson and you say, list all of the teams for which you would play. And then however many that is, three, five, seven, two, whatever, as long as it's more than one, you just have an auction for the Deshaun Watson contract. And that's the best landing spot of the teams he would want to go to, which team gives the Texans the most. And he'll know where he go, And he can make an impact almost anywhere. I think it's easier to list the teams that shouldn't be interested than the teams that should be. Because most teams, Shireen, should be. Let's move on to the last question before we run out of time. Gong Show West, given the quarterback controversy and general lack of success on the field, did Jeffrey Lurie do Doug Peterson a favor by firing him? <laughs> well, I think Doug Peterson's probably happy that he doesn't have to go and play a quarterback he doesn't want to play. If it came down to the Carson Wentz, Jalen Hurts scenario, and he decided that he wanted Jalen Hurts and the owner wanted Carson Wentz, I think it was better for them to part ways. Now, He's probably going to have to sit out a year, I would think, before he gets another chance to possibly be a head coach. Uh, but that could work out for Doug Peterson long term, Mike. And, you know, some people will say, well, why didn't he just go be an offensive coordinator? Here's the problem, and I would have a hard time doing this. Because of the offset rule, right, whatever Peterson was making, yeah. and I don't, I don't know off the top of my head what the number was. Let's say it's $8 million a year. Every dollar he makes from another team, the Eagles get credit for. So you're still getting $8 million a year. So you go bust your butt all year long as the offensive coordinator with the Seahawks, for example. You're not making any more money for it. I'd be very tempted to take a year off at Jeffrey Lurie's expense and plot my next move based upon where the ball moves league-wide in the 2021 season and maybe come back and be a head coach the next year. That's what Mike McCarthy did after the Packers fired him. He got paid for a year to prepare for his next landing spot, although in hindsight, I don't know, that didn't go so well, at least not in 2020. We'll see if it goes better for Mike McCarthy and the Cowboys in 2021. Shireen, do you think he should take a year off then? Yes, absolutely. Take the year off and come back in a year from now. All right, we're going to take the weekend off, but we'll be working. we got four games. Enjoy the games. We'll see you Monday.
Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 